Welcome to the conversation from St. Patrick's Studio. My name is Brian Cannon and joining us today is Father Peter Dillon. He is the son of ranchers and joined the seminary life at age 17. And his priestly ministry has spanned from hospital chaplaincy to family counseling to hosting a call-in radio show to uh, pastoring large uh, parishes and even diocesan leadership. And now if you're like me and you like your preaching to get to the point, you can see Father Peter's two minute homilies on the Archdiocese of Brisbane's YouTube channel. That's right, joining us from Surfer's Paradise in Queensland, Australia, where it happens to be tomorrow morning. Father Peter Dillon, how are things in the future? Uh, they're doing very well, Brian. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be with you. Um, I had intended maybe even doing this outside so that you could see a little bit of this wonderful parish that I live in. Um, however, just the start of this week, we had torrential rain, which we needed. Um, and so it really looks very dull outside. But uh, in the summer months, which we're experiencing at the moment, a beautiful, normally beautiful sunshine. Um, and and you said the parish is called Surface Paradise. Well, it is, in fact, the holiday capital of Australia, where we live. Um, an enormous number of tourists come here. Uh, we are, have a fantastic beach. We've, um, the coastline of the deanery, or the group of parishes where I, I live, is maybe about 30 kilometres, um, maybe 25 miles long. And uh, it's all white sand and beautiful beaches. We have a lot of sand too, but the context is a little bit different. And, and I admit now, this is the first time that I have ever spoken to someone who is currently in the Southern Hemisphere. And it, oh and, my and goodness. I know it's super simple, but it's summertime right there, as, as, as you mentioned, right? It blows my mind that for you, Christmas is a summer holiday. Yeah, can I tell you also, it blows a little bit of my mind as well, because a lot of the things that we were brought up with, you know, a lot of the Christmas yeah. cards, a lot of the Christmas stories, certainly a lot of the, the Christmas songs and sometimes the hymns speak about the Northern Hemisphere. They, they right. talk about um, snow and, you know, it's by the fireside, <laughs> chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Right. We're not going to have that here. We're not yeah. going to have that here. So it is um, a bit different, and, and we do have a little bit of a Northern Hemisphere mindset when it comes to Christmas, I, I'm afraid to say. But we're trying slowly to get people around to saying, no, you can actually go on the beach. We're going to have shrimp on the barbie. Yeah. And, um, but, but those are the sorts of summary things that we do. It's going to be about 90 degrees today. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, so thank you for humoring me in, in that little... Um, strangeness Pleasure. in my mind. Now, um, can you give us a, just a little bit of context of your relationship with St. Patrick? Okay, yes. Well, I have some lovely friends who live here in my parish about six or seven months of the year, Vincent Barbara Rabine, and they they have a place over at Scottsdale, and very, very wonderfully they invited me over to, to visit them, and then as a real treat, um, I got to go to St. Pat's and, and meet Father Eric and Father Andre. And um, very quickly did we become quite good friends. And I was invited to, to um, share as a celebrant 
a couple of Saturday evening um, vigil masses over there, which was really a fantastic experience for me to see that wonderful music, the, the very large congregation, um, and also just to hear the wisdom of those two men about how parishes can operate. Um, I suppose it's that classic thing of if you build it, uh, they will come and, and you build a fantastic parish there with a, a lot of services and they're just a great lesson to, to me and I'm trying to put a few of those things in place here, although there are some limitations. Sure. And, and I imagine that although we're worlds apart, that Surfer's Paradise and Scottsdale really aren't all that different when it boils down to it. And, and well, I, we, we have about 10 golf courses here in the parish <laughs> anyway, so it's a bit similar in that regard. But I'll tell you why it's similar. Um, there are quite a few people come here for retirement. So we're talking about a fairly elderly congregation. Um, they are also people who tend to have um, a fair bit of time on their hands as well. So they're looking for a range of involvements. Um, so that's another part of it as, as well. Um, it, the, the similarities, I suppose, is that a lot of people um, come from around Australia to visit. And I know that they certainly do that in Scottsdale. It's a, it's a wonderful place to visit. Um, but at any given weekend in the high season, half of my congregation could come from interstate or certainly another city from somewhere. So I'm really only talking to about half of um, the people who are regular parishioners on any given Sunday. Right. And, and so I feel a little bit comfortable asking you to then generalize because I know that Australia is huge and diverse country as, as the United States is, but I'm, I'm wondering what, the challenges and the opportunities that you see facing the church in Australia are right now, and then how, how your parishioners are approaching discipleship in that, because I bet there's a lot of shared experience and wisdom that we can gain from, from your experience in Australia. Well, uh, thank you for the opportunity there, because there, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I've been part of a pastoral planning group for the Archdiocese, and I also belong to um, a, the Archdiocesan Finance Council. Now, although that sounds all a bit commercial, it is a reflection of a whole lot of the trends that are happening in our archdiocese. So we're a fairly large archdiocese of, of Brisbane um, and a, quite a diverse um, demography. We have um, some rural parishes and we certainly have some major inner city parishes. The one where I'm at, the parish where I live at the moment, is probably the fourth or fifth largest parish in Australia in terms of population. Um, and one of the concerns about that, of course, is that in days gone by, there might have been four or five priests here, or we may have divided this up because it was such a large parish into a couple of smaller parishes. Um, we have three churches operating um, in, our, in this particular parish here. Um, the parish, my previous parish had 11 churches in the, the one parish area. Uh, and just a bit of the history of how that happens is that um, when they were first established sometime in the, some, um, maybe the 1940s, 1950s, people were not familiar with all having cars and things. So they were, had churches close to where they lived. Um, over time, as everybody gets a car or two, they um, have these churches close by, but they drive their car to it when they could, in fact, 
um, drive another mile or two and get to the next church. So our, one of our problems uh, is that we have too many churches and certainly we do not have uh, enough priests to be able to service those churches. So there's problem number one. And, and that's not just a numerical issue. It's, it's very much a pastoral issue because when you have multi-churches and lots of different mass times, you have people who sometimes belong to a parish for a long time who have never met other parishioners because they don't go to that church or they don't go to that mass. So when I, um, I work with one other priest here, um, and I, actually we have a, a wonderful retired priest who works with us as well. So the three of us provide these uh, services, uh, masses each weekend in three different churches in rotation. So I actually only get to see regular parishioners uh, once every three weeks on a, on a Sunday. Again, that inability to connect up with what may be happening to them in the interim. So if they don't call me or if somebody doesn't tell me that these people are going through a bit of a trouble or they may have gone to hospital, all of those sorts of things, I may never get to find out, um, at least for some time. So that where that creates a, an issue is that people are really almost using the church as a, a service centre rather than a, a place to get seriously involved you know, to, on a, on a almost a daily basis. So I, I find that one of the great problems. Um, we have in our diocese, maybe I think roughly um, 100 parishes and maybe about 120 active priests. Um, that means that there are, and that doesn't mean that there's a priest in every parish. There can be some parishes that are linked. Um, so um, I've been in, in a parish where I had three um, adjacent parishes that I was responsible for because at the time they were either not large enough or we didn't have a priest available to go there. So you can see how that starts to fray that pastoral connection um, that, that you don't get to find out, as we did in days gone by, how people are living, what they're experiencing, what they need the church for, and also how to engage them in some um, relevant ministries as well. So that's that's a problem. Yeah. So and the the obvious challenges that come from that kind of ratio are are many. But how does that empower your lay leadership? You know, in that kind of a vacuum. Well, I suppose I'm going to be giving you a, a few of the problems before I try to settle <laughs> on the solutions, sure. because. Unless we, we name those problems, we might be heading down a direction that is going to, to uh, run into a, a dead end. Um, we have maybe a third of our, our clergy and our archdiocese um, come from overseas dioceses. Uh, quite a few from Nigeria, um, um, quite a lot from India, um, a smaller number from Vietnam, and a couple of Polish priests as well. Um, but the majority of the Nigerian priests and the Indian priests have been invited to come here and work in our archdiocese for a length of time, as long as their visas allow. Now, the, the, that was an approach that we took to deal with what we saw was a decreasing number of locally um, born and ordained priests here. We could just see the writing on the wall. Now, this is not a unique 
problem to our archdiocese, uh, nor is it unique throughout Australia. Um, but the, the relationship that we have with the Umayyad diocese in Nigeria and a few religious orders in India um, allows us to maintain, I suppose, the, the sacramental life of the church. However, the, the other side to that, of course, is that you are bringing someone in from another culture into a very unique culture in Australia that might be considered um, certainly a very new uh, culture, relatively new in terms of, of how long we've been living as a, a country and operating. Um, but there are also lots of, of cultural um, issues that need to be addressed. Um, issues of how the, the familiarity, I suppose, with clergy and the, the, the parishioners. Um, Australian clergy do tend to have a very familiar uh, laid back approach as is the Australian culture. And a few of the, the priests from Nigeria and India have had a little bit of time adjusting to that. Um, in fact, I worked with one priest who had never, before he came to work with me, had never had a lay minister of the word or a lay minister of um, extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. He had never, certainly never worked um, beside a woman in, in church leadership. And uh, it was rather confronting because our pastoral associate was a, a very capable woman whose job required her to sometimes direct me and him uh, to do particular tasks. And he had a, a bit of time. He eventually um, understood what was required, but that took time. And um, it was certainly not an ideal entry into um, the, his understanding of the Australian culture. Just as an aside to that, there is a limit to the time that they are able to be here because of visa restrictions. So we can have some of these priests finally getting really into the life of their parish and, and being much loved by their parishioners and then finding out that you know, their visa has expired and they, they have to return to their own country and be replaced by somebody else. Um, if we if we are so lucky as to get somebody else, yeah. So that's that's one of the the re real problems. Our seminary, and this is just an example for you. When I was in went to the seminary in the early seventies, there were one hundred and twenty students um, being uh, formed for five dioceses throughout our state. Um, I think there are presently um, fifteen or sixteen um, seminarians for that same number of of a diocese. So we cannot survive as we presently are without looking at new forms of leadership. And we may have taken this particular stand or this particular approach of bringing clergy from overseas to work here, but that does not change the, the environment of, of uh, saying to people, well, what if father is not always there? What if we can't keep getting somebody here? Does our parish die simply because there is not an ordained minister standing up there every Sunday? Now, that's that's a very difficult question that we need to ask, Brian, and people don't want to hear that question too much um, because it, it makes them feel rather uncomfortable. Um, we have presently um, in our parish um, seven um, Sunday masses set by three of us. 
for Christmas, because we are limited in the number of people that we can have in our churches um, still because of COVID, uh, we have 13 Christmas masses going to be celebrated over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Now, the truth, I suppose, is that we are providing a, a, a mixed message of saying, okay, if we can have 13 masses over over Christmas, why can't we have those every Sunday, people might say. The first thing I, when I announced that we were going to have these 13 masses to accommodate the, the large number of people who come to Mass at Christmas, the very first person walked up to me and said, why can't we have midnight mass as well? And I said, because, because I'm going to be in a really bad mood come midnight um, if, yeah. if I have to do another one. So, um, but that's a bit of the mentality. I think we've pr been providing, um, trying to keep up with a past level of, of connection um, because we didn't see other ways. We didn't get ready early enough to say, okay, if, if the ordained minister can't be there, what type of capable, um, articulate, informed layperson might be able to keep that um, community going in the absence of, of the ordained minister, who will maybe go around in a, in a sort of rotational way, uh, but still we are rushing from one church to the other to celebrate Mass. I'm having a coffee, by the way, which I've purchased from our cafe, our coffee shop at our church. We uh, established some years ago a, a coffee shop right outside the front of the door of the church so that as people are leaving, they're not rushing off to their cars or rushing off to another coffee shop. They can come and gather. And so we get quite a few people um, every day uh, for, for breakfast or lunch or, or just a coffee break in between, and it's really been a very successful thing. So excuse me. Oh please no! That that's a that's a ministry that would be near and dear to my heart as well. That's um, well, as it's a father. <laughs> it would really work, I would think, over at um, St Pat's as I remember it. One of the the other differences that I will highlight now, which St Patrick's doesn't have, is that in our parish, in my parish here, we have um, three Catholic schools. Soon to have a fourth one. Um, three, what we call a uh, two three primary schools and we have a secondary school as well. Um, that, now that's a, a fairly, and, and they are um, operated by the parish, so they are parish ministry, um, and they have a, a large number of not only children but families connected to them as well. So uh, one of the schools is connected here to this church where I'm working at the moment, and every day you will see something like 800 kids and their families traveling past our church or traveling past our coffee shop. And uh, again, they're kind of meeting up with each other. And so it's a nice connecting space. Yeah. You know, it's so hard, I think, for, um, for some people to, well, it's hard for anybody to change, you know, and I think some of, for me personally, as a lay person, I have to consider some of my consumerist tendencies when it comes to church. Like for example, we, we too in our diocese um, invite priests from, from other places to come and join us. And, and, and too, the, there's that cultural aspect of uh, assimilation that can be difficult and things. But a lot of these priests that are coming from these other places are actually coming from places where the ratio is even worse. 
you know, but yes. but American Catholics and maybe Australian Catholics as well have become accustomed to a certain level of what what they might call service, right, or availability of their priests and like and thirteen was it thirteen Christmas masses, <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes we don't do our best job of trying to move people away from the consumerist um, thought. And and if you look back to the Amazon Synod, look at the, look at those people of yes. faith down in the Amazon who go maybe years without seeing a priest. And and now even during the pandemic, we're forced to reimagine again what it means to be church, what it means to do ministry outside of the building, you know, when we we can't come necessarily and receive the sacraments. But how do I be a disciple in that time? So what have you experienced in the church during this time that has given you, you know, light and hope? Okay, well, um, it's it's the, the life and hope is starting to, to emerge, but I have to say for a long time, it really uh, looked fairly grim. Um, I have a colleague in my next parish who said to me at one stage, we should never waste a crisis. Um, and by that, he meant that we should use this time where, where change has been forced upon us to implement the sorts of changes that we mightn't do in, in smoother times. So we did move from nine Sunday Masses down to seven. Um, I would have been a little bit more, uh, more, more severe, except that we have these three churches, which really each Sunday would gather in each of them sometimes uh, 500 plus people. So to cut that down would have been a, a serious uh, have serious consequences. Um, what we've experienced is, um, a, first of all, the wonderful uh, ability of, of people of all ages to connect with us through technology. Uh, I was not really too good about it, but I had to learn rather quickly. And I have uh, a priest that I work with who is excellent about informing me about how all of it works. And um, instead, we didn't do... Um, uh, live streaming mass like you do at St Pat's where I've I've urged people in our parish to, to tune into St Pat's um, but what we do is we have a blog um, each week where we um, record the readings and I deliver a, a homily on the on the blog so that goes out to maybe seven or eight hundred people who've come online for that and then we provide a an e-newsletter instead of a paper one um, and that goes to nearly a thousand people um, each week who've, who've signed up for it. Now, um, slowly, we've just been allowed now to, to have um, in our churches one person per two square metres. Now, I'm not sure what that is in feet, but maybe six, every six square feet, which is a bit tight, I have to say, but fortunately, our large church is not uh, dissimilar to St Pat's. So we're able to get maybe 300 people in the large church at any one time with distancing. Um, I'm not sure what practices you have over there, but we've got uh, sanitising as soon as you come in. We have to have cleaning of all of the pews in between each one. Oddly enough, a large number of people have stepped up and said, can I help? So the environment now is such that people are saying, our church is kind of having a little bit of a struggle here um, to keep the things going. What can we do to help? And I think that's a, a principal basis for uh, any type of ministry. In what way can I help? Um, 
Previous to that, I was having to tap people on, on the shoulder. Um, one of the other issues and problems that we have here at Surface Paradise is that there are too many options for people to, to get involved. I mentioned the golf things. We know about the beach. There's an enormous amount of shopping centres and fun parks, and we've got Dream World and Sea World and Water World and Movie World, all of those sorts of things. It's a little bit like Orlando in that regard. So um, asking people to do things, particularly um, lots of people who, who would be grandparents are saying, oh, well, no, we now look after our children, our grandchildren on a couple of days or we go and help out at the school. So we're competing with a lot of other um, attractive options for people. Certainly on Sunday, um, we had uh, we we thought the good idea would be to have our sacramental program operating on a Sunday morning after mass. People coming along to mass, the kids can go over to our our centre, and well, it just bombed because people were saying, "Well, no, our children go to they learn surfing on that on Sunday. Um, that's my golf day." You know, all these other things that they were saying stood in the way of of doing something about church. So we're not as um, as advanced or uh, far enough along to be able to say to people, no, this is the principal thing. The other things flow from that. Those other enjoyments are great, but you've made a commitment through baptism to be part of what we do. We're Sunday people. Um, and that's kind of a hard message to get across these days in, in the modern context. Uh, during COVID, I think we've printed, yeah, We've lost about 50% of our congregation of people who've just essentially decided, um, look, you know, we, we're either too elderly or we're too scared to come along or whatever, so they, they're not coming. Um, there are a lot of people who just thought it was too much of a bother to make a booking to come to, to um, church. Now, do you do that at St Pat's? Do you have to make a booking online to come along to church? We do, yeah, because uh, it, it's very similar in, in terms of the procedures that you've described. The distance is the same, essentially, and the, the sanitization procedures are the same. So, uh, yeah, our capacity is severely limited. And because of that, you have to, which seems crazy, right? Like it, from, from our mentality, it would be like, wouldn't it be great if everybody came on, uh, you know, in a, that's, that's like the dream, right? And now, now we're having to say you have to make reservations. It's, it's so hard, right? But yeah, it's, it's very similar for us. Yeah, well, we're preparing at Christmas um, to essentially say to people, I'm sorry, the, the inn is full. And, uh, um, but we really, we're fortunate that we have a um, good expanse of outside, as you do at, at um, St. Pat's as well. So maybe people are going to have to, to be outside the church for, for a time. Anyway, so, um, so we, we've kind of lost a lot of um, people coming along. We've lost a lot of contribution to um, financial um, stewardship in the church as well. But my policy or my approach is to just be totally honest with people and saying, we can't afford to do what we have been doing previously. Or, or um, mass this Sunday or this mass, nobody is um, rostered to read because the, the reader is no longer here. So I'm saying to people, you know, this is ownership of your parish here. I've got my job and I'll do my job to the best of my ability. Now, your job is to 
maintain your participation in the life of this parish. And slowly, slowly, Brian, it's it's sinking in. Um, and but I, I don't think we'll ever bounce back to the same number of people coming along. But I do believe that we're going to bounce back in terms of understanding and and the the, the depth of, of spiritual involvement. The people that we'll get coming along have had to carry um, some of the burden of what COVID has meant to our church. And I think they've done so with a great grace and a real sense of enthusiasm. Uh, and I think that's that's true for us as well, is that I've been so moved and impressed by the depth of the faith that has emerged from uh, the other lay people in our community that, I mean, what's the old song? You don't know what you got until it's gone. That's right. <laughs> right? That's it. And, yes. and for, yeah. for discipleship for us now, is really stripped away some of those things that really don't matter, but we used to spin our wheels on so much. And it's been um, a, an experience of people being able to re-encounter their relationship with their family at home, being able to re-encounter the things that um, are essential to the faith versus the things that um, add to the, the rumor mill and the gossip and all of the other yep. things that go along with parish life that really aren't central to the faith, even though people act like they are. So for us, it's been, um, I hope that we're able to retain some of this um, even as the pandemic fades away that those who have become empowered because of this, those who have had a re-encounter with uh, an authentic discipleship are able to, to go forth into the new light that comes from beyond the pandemic and allow that to grow. Um, for us in America, it's been a very challenging year, not just because of the pandemic, but we're going through all sorts of political turmoil mm -hmm. and racial turmoil. And we're working through um, times of injustice. And I wonder if similar tensions have affected Australians and and what you have done and what, what Christians can do to promote healing and all of that. Okay, that's a great question. And certainly we in Australia are very aware of, of what happens. Uh, every, uh, every evening on our news broadcast, there's always a section about what's happening in America, what's happening in England. And so we, we're very familiar with, with the tensions there. And some of it has certainly um, washed over into Australia. Um, the Black Lives Matter uh, issue has certainly uh, presented itself here in Australia because we've had um, kind of similar situations where where there has been a non-recognition of our Indigenous um, First Nation people here in Australia. And um, there's been, oh, I suppose, almost sometimes patronising acknowledgement of the importance of that culture. But we don't see it, we don't experience it, certainly here in this white middle-class parish that I live in, very little impact happens here. So part of what I need to do and what most of our parishes need to do is to say to people, ask the question of why we're not seeing the presence or the involvement of the Indigenous people of Australia in what we do. Is it because they don't live here or is it also because they don't necessarily feel as though this is a place where they have, have uh, a sense of inclusion? Now, only very recently, our Archdiocese 
has established a thing called a reconciliation action plan. We call it the RAP. And every parish now and the archdiocese and every um, office and company within the archdiocese has been given this uh, reconciliation action plan with, with some details, with some resources and some suggestions as to how, as a parish or as a community, we might recognise what it is that um, is at the basis of some deep-seated, if certainly, if it's not racism, certainly it's apprehension and, and lack of, of knowledge. Uh, and that, that's, uh, in Australia, I suppose we, we're talking about a, a different level of, of uh, involvement for uh, many of the Aboriginal people because um, they don't necessarily um, come to urban environments to live. Um, but at the same time, those that do find it difficult to find work or to, to get connected to, to mainstream situations. So this action plan is asking us first not to go out and say, come in, everybody, everything's fine and we love you and all that. Um, it's to say, what is stopping us from having done that in the past? What is our history? What is our present? And how might we reenact, uh, how might we action that um, into the future? Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be able to, to fully understand the the Indigenous culture of Australia, but certainly to be aware that we don't live in a vacuum here, that this is not just about white Australia here. It's not just also um, Indigenous Australians, it's the many, many cultures that come to Australia. On any given Sunday here, Brian, um, I can look out in my congregation and I would say between um, a third or a quarter of the population, maybe sometimes even more, uh, would be people who are have come from another country, often Asia, a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Filipino families in my parish, a lot of Indian families. And they're the ones who are coming as a family. They're the ones who are insistent about, we do this as a family. We don't scatter and, and have five different family members at five different masses. We, you know, we're identifiable. We do this as a family. And that's something that I think um, white Australian families have have started to to fracture a little bit um, because kids are high school kids going out and getting jobs or getting involved in sporting teams and and parents working two and three jobs so they can't find that space that says we get together as a family and we do this as a family um, and I think we lost a little bit of that image of family in our own parish community when we, when people started to say, well, I can't go to church because I'm too old or I don't know if I'm well enough or I'm scared to go. Last week, um, I saw a couple whom I hadn't seen for maybe six or seven months and we couldn't help ourselves. We just went and gave each other a hug. I don't know if we're supposed to do that or not these days, but we did it. I know, I know. Um, I we did it because it, it was just like getting together as, yeah. as the family again. You know, these were people who, who belonged to us, who've been away, and, and we needed to, to see them back. But um, that image of family it has certainly been diminished um, over the COVID time. One of the things that Father Eric always says is that at St. Patrick's, all are welcome because all belong, right? And it's the because that is really important. So I think 
when you describe the process that you're now going through and the first question that's asked is why haven't we done this before? Right. Not, not just go out and say, Oh, oh you're all welcome. Come on in, you know, but to really examine what, what has been the barrier in the past to all belonging. You can say all are welcome, but it's because all belong. So I wonder if in, in the beginning of this reconciliation process that you've done, have you, have you arrived at any answers of why, why that has happened? Um, and no, no, we haven't as yet. I, um, and probably because we've been very reticent to be ha having a collective uh, gathering up during um, the COVID time. One of the things that I, I, I do know of, of Eric's um, statement, you know, all, all belong. One of the things that I have as my catchphrase is, you know, are you watching and observing? Are you noticing what's going on? Because I do get concerned a little bit that people um, not only come along to the same church, the same mass, they sit in the same pew at the same time and park their car in the same the spot. The same spot. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say that. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, does that mean that they're also listening in the same way of, oh, that was nice, Father? You know, they come out of church saying, that was a nice mass, Father. I want to know what difference that has made to them uh, from one day to the next. Have, what have you noticed about yourself? What have you noticed about the world in which you live, in your community, that is making you say, when I come along to church, I now see things from a different perspective? Um, I was in one parish where they used to have um, a, a Sunday called Change Seat Sunday. And what it asked of people was, it was one of those churches that um, you looked across from each other. So it had an aisle down the middle and you looked from one side to the other. So it was really quite good. So people were asked to sit in a seat other than the one that they regularly sat in. And I thought, what a brilliant idea this was when it was introduced. So what happened was the people on the right-hand side moved over to the left and the left-hand side moved to the right, and they were looking at the same people from the same perspective. And it was just a great symbol for me, a great reminder, that people, um, you said it before, they don't want change. They want to not have to make that big decision. They don't want to have to move themselves out of a situation that maybe they've worked hard to get into in the first place. You know, maybe they've overcome something that says, well, this is where I feel comfortable. And I do think my job, and I've certainly witnessed both Father Andre and Father Eric, just nudging people out of comfortable situations and saying, you know, when we're comfortable, we're not noticing. When we're comfortable, we just say, oh, this is good. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And um, certainly the, the gospel message is it will be okay when the kingdom is fulfilled, and, and, but we're not there yet. And that's why we have to kind of keep um, agitating, disrupting, I think, is the term that we're all using now. We have to disrupt just a little bit. I don't want to alienate people. I don't want them to walk away saying that guy is just you know, beats us around the head every time we go there. I just want to nudge them into saying, notice what your world is like. And when you notice the world, then you might notice how you're contributing to it or drawing from it um, in sometimes unhealthy ways. And now just to come full circle, Father Peter, as a quasi-journalist, I, uh -huh. I take cross-cultural understanding very seriously. So... 
there are differences in our common language. I don't know if people knew this or not, but we both speak yeah. English, but mm -hmm. I am going to give you a yeah. list of Australian words that I've got here. I've okay. done a lot of research. I've done a lot of research. Um, and I'm, you're okay. going to tell me what it means and if Australians actually use it. Okay. All right. We're going to start off easy level. This is beginner level. Yeah. You know, some of these could be blaspheming words, okay. cursing, so we better be careful. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I give myself a 50-50 shot of saying something inappropriate okay. right now. All right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to start uh, beginner level. Beginner. Okay. Barbie. Yes. Oh, well, Arizona knows what a Barbie is. It's the barbecue. Okay. It's oh. the... Uh, Every home has one. Uh, it's usually in what we call our backyard. And Australians actually use that word. Yes, they do. Yes, okay. I mean it's because because we're we're lazy speakers. We we cut down words into just as little letters as possible. So, bar B um, is is BBQ. Yeah. Okay. So I, I noticed this in my research too. You guys just take the first syllable and put e at the end. Yeah, yes. like that's a new word, like brekkie yeah. for breakfast. Yeah, well, right? foot, foot, brekkie is, footy. that's right. Football is footy. Yeah. Footy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think I'm on the right path yeah. here. Okay. How about this? Yeah, Arvo. <laughs> yes. Okay. The An arvo is the afternoon. Um, see, too many <laughs> syllables. So okay. arvo is just, arvo. I'll see you in the arvo. Uh, I'll, I'll check you out in the Arvo means that I'll come and visit you in the afternoon. Okay, and they say, and people say that. Yeah, yeah, okay. so they do, yeah. Okay. Dax. <laughs> um, well, I am wearing Dax at the moment. As am um, I. <laughs> they are trousers. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, gee, I'm just wondering where the word Dax came from. I don't even know how it's spelt, but. It's very, very commonly used. And I'll just, um, you might sort of say, oh, I'm going out, I'll just change my DAX. Okay, see, and this is how you know we've gotten to an intermediate level because there's actually two words of separation there because you also said trousers, which we do not yes, say. Yes, yeah. Oh, don't you? That's an Englishy thing, yeah. Pants. You use pants, do you? Pants, pants. yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clearly. Um, two up. Two up, yes. Um, it is used. It's not commonly used. It's a gambling um, game, and you get um, two old Australian pennies. We don't have pennies anymore. We have dollars and cents. But you throw, you get these two pennies. It, it, it comes from a wartime game, and you throw the two pennies up, and you have three possible bets. You can have heads that they come down heads, both of them, or tails, both of them, or one head, one tail. Okay. So uh, you bet on how they're going to land on the ground. Okay. And uh, not played it's, so much. It's actually at our, no, it's not played too often. It's played at our uh, important day that we have called Anzac Day, which is um, the day that we commemorate uh, veterans yeah. over here and they, they march. And they usually end up at a hotel or a pub or some drinking place, and they end up playing two up. Soldiers are the same everywhere. Okay, um, yeah. now, now we're, we're bumping it up a level here. Okay. Larrikin. Larrikin, okay, well, well, a larrikin. Um, that's, I'm trying to think of an American equivalent to a larrikin, but it's a, a guy who's, 
who's a really good fun, possibly a, a joker, a, a guy who, who's um, the comedian, the, um, uh, the, I just cannot think of an American term. It's not, it's not an, a negative thing. Um, it's somebody who at a party might be the one who comes up with the jokes or... He's the life or of the party. The, the, the life, life of, of the party is, yeah, okay. is a larrikin. It's yes, a larrikin. yeah. Okay. And it's it's an old term. I think it may, in fact, come from, from English somewhere. I think it, it's an English term. Here's one I find completely confusing. Fair dinkum. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, a fair dinkum, um, it means the, the absolute truth. Uh, if And... You can refer to people as being fair dinkum in that they're genuine, they're solid, they're they're people who'll who'll say they'll do something and follow it through. Um, now that you've said these words like Dax and Dinkum, I do not know where they they um, come from, um, but that term is is used when you want to describe somebody. You might instead of saying they are a delightfully honest chap, you might say no, they're a fair dinkum bloke. Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum bloke. Okay, I like the sound of that. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Okay, and finally, um, and and then I, I choose this one because of Surfer's Paradise. Yeah. Shark biscuit. <laughs> shark. Well, we don't use it, but I'm assuming that that's a person. It is. This goes into the. It is. I'm sure it, it, I, what it I is. What I read a person. is that it's kids on the beach. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Well, uh, we have um, kids on the beach uh, are often commonly called nippers. Okay. Um, and it's and we have a big program over here where young children, um, primary school, certainly young kids, learn how to become lifesavers at the beach. Mm-hmm. So they go to a nippers program. And then a young person who rides a surfboard um, over here, um, like is maybe at school age, is called a grommet. A grommet. Okay. A grommet, yes. Now, I've got one for you, Brian. Okay, I'm um, ready. Do, do you know what a dunny is? A dunny? Yeah. Okay, so just knowing what I know about Australian culture, in that you take words and shorten them and put E at the end. Dun, dunny. It doesn't work with this one. It doesn't no. work with that one, huh? Hmm. No. I'm going to guess, no. I'm going to guess a well-done steak. No, it's an outside <laughs> toilet. It's okay. an outside toilet. <laughs> Here, that's Which called we had outhouse. many, and still, and certainly, yes, you have it as an outhouse. Yeah. It's called a dunny here, okay. and uh, uh, but it's it's kind of a, a lovely Australian colloquialism, um, which obviously doesn't operate in the cities anymore. But we'd like to hold on to it because it's just kind of encapsulates the the um, the irreverence, I suppose, of the Australian, um, and. And it's it's our word, like no one else kind of right. goes it's, with it. It's unique yeah. and it's part of the culture. Well, Father Peter, you have survived uh, the conversation ah. in St. Patrick's studio from the other side of planet Earth in the future. I hope you have flying cars. I, I thank you so much for taking the time uh, for speaking with us. We really, truly hope that um, you're able to join us again in person soon. And uh, we wish you all of the best. Thank you so much. Brian, it's been an absolute joy. And I think how fantastic that we can have this conversation. Like you're here, I'm there. We're in the same room. I think that uh, God has been good allowing us 
allowing smart people to think up a thing like Zoom just so that we can stay connected. Amen to that. Well, this has been St. Patrick's Studio. We will see you next time.